Hopefully this has been helping some of you. It's been helping me. I know that. Um, whether you're, you've been through something, you're going through something, or you will be going through something, these lessons that we have been learning can be lifelines, can help us in our deepest, darkest times. So far we've talked about the Holy Spirit's role doing life's question marks, doing uh, life's hardships. Romans 8, 26 and 27 talks about how the Holy Spirit in our time of need will intercede on our behalf. And think about that attorney going before God, the judge, right? Think about the one that is representing you, the Holy Spirit himself. And even in those times of uncertainty, when we don't know how we ought to pray, when we don't know what we should be praying for, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need. Julius, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need. Uh, maybe there's just a little bit of a time shift that he needs in order to get this job lined up just right for you. We have to believe that all things are going to work out for good. So uh, then we began to break this verse down in Romans 8:28, and we started talking about we know. That's how this verse starts. Even though this verse is a glorious promise from God Himself, these two words that this verse starts off with, they are more geared for you and me. That we can know that we know. Because we know who God is, we can know that God is going to help us. What a blessed assurance that is. Then we went on to, we know that all things, and as difficult as it may sound, as difficult as it may be to accept, we can know that God can take all things, every bad situation in our life, and turn it into something positive. We talked about in Genesis 1, it says if God was able to take all that was around us, that was void, that was formless, that was without form, that was empty, that was hollow. If he was able to make all of that and create all of this, think about that. Surely he can take our emptiness, our hollowness inside, our difficulty. Surely He can take the void that we have experienced through life's difficulties. Folks, He is still a creating God. He is still a recreating God. He is in the business of creating hearts and lives and recreating hearts and lives. Praise the Lord for that. So we know that all things. Next up in our series this morning, we know that all things work together. Let's just stop right there. We know that all things work together. Successful sports teams know what it's like to work together. When every player is striving for the same goal and each player knows their job and they do it well, then they find that they are working together. I was able to uh, go to the Cleveland Indians game last Thursday night whenever they won in dramatic fashion in the bottom of the 10th inning. They won uh, the game against the Royals. Royals? Royals. 
um, in the bottom of the tenth, and they what they tied that record of 22 straight games, and that was quite the atmosphere to to be in, and it was a lot of fun to see them do that. Um, but it was great to see them work together. Every player had a role, and they knew what they needed to do. It was a beautiful thing to watch that unfold. And I thought to myself, that's the way it should be in our lives, as we work hand-in-hand with God to make life go smoothly. But sometimes, especially in our difficulties and our hardships and in our tests and trials, It seems as though us and God are on totally different pages sometimes, doesn't it? If we were honest with one another, if you were honest with me this morning, if I were honest with you, sometimes in those difficult times it seems like, where is God in all of this? Does it seem like God's really working on our behalf with all of this? And where is He at with everything? How many times does it seem like when you pray the heavens are like brass? Have you heard that? message before. Just can't seem to get through. It doesn't seem as if God is even there. You know what I mean. Sometimes I think, though, when this happens, the reason this happens is we want to be the coach. We want to be the ones that call the signals. We want to be the ones that that have the playbook and And uh, I remember in the game, of course, you know, growing up playing baseball, I saw all this. But, you know, you see the third base coach and he's going like this, you know, doing stuff like that. And there is a key there. And whenever he touches a certain part of his arm or his body, that is the key. And, and, and after that is what the runner or the, or the, or the batter is looking for. And we want to be the ones to do this. Right? We want to be able to dictate to God This is what I want you to do, God. This is the signal that I'm giving you, especially in this time of hardship, God. I need you to come through for me. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Instead of that happening, we need to allow God to be the one to be the signal caller in our life. You see, I talked about this last week, but a lot of times we think that we know what is best for our life. We think we understand what we need at the moment. But this arrangement will never work out for our good. Instead, we need to allow God to be the coach, allow Him to call the signals, call the plays. And listen to this. We need to be willing to give God time and space. Don't forget that. We're a fast food culture. We want God to move just like this. But not only do we have to hand him the, our, the playbook of our life, we also have to be willing to give God the time and the space to bring about his good and not ours. And that is the key. You see, when we humble ourselves, allow God to coach, call the plays, that's when things will do what that just says right there. That's when things will begin to work together. If we were honest with ourselves today, you would have to admit that during those times in your life when things were just all messed up, it was probably because you were not working hand in hand or working in tandem with the Lord God. You were fighting against him. You were you were arguing. You were you were the one trying to take charge of it all. But whenever you just humbled yourselves and you gave God all of who you are, even in your time of pain, even in your time of difficulty, 
that's when things will begin to work together. Someone once said that life must be lived always moving forward, but sometimes it can only be understood looking backwards. So true. When we understand what I just said and then accept it, then and only then will we begin to work with God instead of against God. I've had times in my life to where I'm going through something difficult and I'm trying to make it happen. I'm trying to force it to happen. I'm trying to kick the door down. I'm trying to scratch and claw and do everything that I can to make this happen. And, and it's those times when God said, Brock, 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 stop. Let go and let me. And the first thing that happens is I experience a release and I experience a peace. Maybe there's someone here this morning and you don't have that. You're fighting with God. You're trying to tell God what it is that he needs to do for you, and he's trying to say, no, you just let go, and let me fill you with my peace and my contentment, and let me work things out in my time. And when you start to do that, you begin to work with God and not against God. This truth, this truth, may not immediately remove all of the pain that we might be experiencing at the moment. I wish I could tell you that it would. But it will keep you and I steady and grounded as God takes us through this storm. Sometimes we get this in life and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we, we, we go with it and sometimes we fight it. In Genesis chapter 22, you don't have to turn there. I'll just briefly mention this. But in Genesis chapter 22, we can see the great patriarch, Jacob. He was going through this kind of an episode in his life. And he wasn't really getting it, so to speak. I guess we could say for good reason. At this time in his life, Jacob was an old man. He had suffered a number of personal blows that would have knocked the air out of anyone. You remember? He had a number of sons that would often cause him trouble. His dearest son, Joseph, had been killed by a wild animal years before, or so he thought. He and his people were facing economic ruin because of terrible famine. When his sons went to Egypt and searched for food, they managed to get in trouble with the Egyptian law. You remember the story leaving one of them there in prison, and his youngest son, Benjamin, was going to be used as a bargaining chip to free the one son. Jacob was overcome with incredible fear and sorrow and uncertainty. Now, we understand what Romans 8.28 says, For we know that all things work together for good. But I want you to hear what Jacob said in response to the conditions of his life when he said in Genesis 42.36, he said this, And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Look at that last sentence. All of these things are against me. As I said, contrast that with Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. Notice he didn't say that. I, I love these kind of things because you know what? He makes, it makes Jacob just like you and me. It makes Jacob just as human as you and I. 
All things work together, but he thought all these things were against him. Reminds me of the story that I told you last week. Someone could have said to Jacob, how do you know that everything is against you? It might be for you. Remember that story we talked about? See, as it turned out, we know what happened. But as it turned out, everything that Jacob and his sons went through, God, Julius, listen to this, everything that they went through, God had planned to work out for their good. Jacob experienced the resurrection of a son when he heard that Joseph, his son, was alive. The famine was God's tool to reunite a father and a son. The brother who was held hostage became the instrument to reunite reunite a family. The very events that so stressed Jacob were the very things that God used to catapult his family to prosperity. And to set the stage for a handful of Hebrews that would one day turn into as many people that would number the sands of the sea. As well as prepare the events for the entire Old Testament to be written. Wow. Listen, at the outset of a crisis or a storm, we need to determine whether or not we're going to work with God or work against God. I was talking to someone just the other day, and they said with glorious testimony that they don't want to do anything in their life that does not honor God. They don't want to do anything in their life that is not God's will because they've done it their own way and they've just messed it up. Much of their early life was just messed up with one thing after another, and they have learned their lesson. I believe Jacob probably learned a lesson here. Even to his old age, he learned. No longer going to fight against God. We're going to work with God. Either we're going to hold the playbook and call the signals, or we're going to hand it over to God and let him take it. Let's allow God to be God in our lives, church. Working with him and not against him. And then and only then will all things work together for our good. So we know that all things work together. And then the second part of our message today, we know that all things work together for good. For good. I read a story about a family who had some kids right around the time of the Korean War. And one of the boys' names was Alan. Alan and his friend had been out. This was out in Nebraska, out in the farmlands of Nebraska. And Alan and his friend had been out playing, but they were messing around the barn. But they were around 17, 18 years of age, and they came in uh, for dinner, and they turned the radio on, and they heard um, the stories about the war and that things were not going well. And they were making a plea on the radio that they needed replacements. They needed more men to come serve, to come help their country. Not long after this, Alan and his friend joined the Marines and soon found themselves in the heat of battle. After a time of combat and a punishing winter in the DMZ, 
Allen received orders to return to the, to the United States. But on the way home from the battlefront, he stepped on a landmine and was killed instantly. Now, we don't even know who this young man was, but our hearts immediately cry out. You can imagine what this did to the family. Knowing that their son was on his way home and his life ended like this, but it especially rocked the world of his dad. Alan's death, however, began to have a strong impact, a tremendous effect on his dad's spiritual life. You see, before this, his father had shown little interest in spiritual matters. But Alan's death prompted his father just a few years later to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And his life was dramatically changed. The story that I'm relating to you comes from Alan's brother, Ron. Ron said that after a few years after his death, he was milking the cows with his dad. And his dad looked at him and said, you know, Ron, before Alan's death, I never even thought about Jesus. Before he died, I never even gave much thought to spiritual matters, but since he has passed away, that's what brought me to the foot of the cross. That's what brought me to Jesus Christ, and it dramatically changed his life. He then uh, went door to door and began to sell Bibles. He became a member of the Gideon Bible Tract Association. became a strong supporter of missionaries. Farming no longer was their ultimate, was no longer his ultimate purpose in life. Was no longer the main reason for his existence. And Romans 8.28 became his life verse, became his favorite verse, knowing that all things can work together for good. Nice story. We don't necessarily have to live it, but there is a real-life example of a father who experienced incredible tragedy. And God used it for good. How can a story like this happen? You see, the fact of the matter is that Romans 8.28 could never have been written had it not been for Jesus Christ and His redeeming grace, church. Don't miss that. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, a curse fell over the world and a curse fell over mankind and nature and we're actually still living within the atmosphere of that curse today. That's a whole other message. So this curse fell over all of mankind and nature, and from then and then on out, all things in life just naturally set out to be for the bad. Think about that. In fact, without Jesus, everything still works out for the bad, right? Right? Without Jesus, not a trick question, without Jesus, Actually, without Jesus, this verse could be written like this. We know that all things will eventually work out for the worst. For those who don't know the Lord and those who are not called according to His purpose. On that note right there, let's pray and go home, right?
What a downer, huh? But is that not true without Jesus? Uh, D. James Kennedy wrote a book. I think I may have preached a couple series out of that or sermons. What if Jesus had never been born? Think about life. Think about society. Think about all of our life that has been impacted because Jesus came. We studied Hinduism just a couple of weeks ago. And, and uh, up until about 100 years or so ago, uh, the, the Hindus never had any schools or hospitals because... Uh, just with the way they view life, uh, there is no meaning to life. There's no purpose to life. Uh, um, you, it doesn't matter if you care for someone. It doesn't matter if someone is hurt or dying. It just doesn't matter. And it was only when the Christian missionaries came into the areas where Hinduism was strong when things began to change when they began to build hospitals, when they began to build schools. You see, without Jesus, everything does not work out for our good. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad that it doesn't say that? Praise the Lord. All of that changed the moment that Jesus hung on the cross. He paid the price so that our sins, so that our bad could become good. First Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. This church applies not just to our souls, but all of life. It's only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that even our most difficult moments can be turned into good. It's only by the sacrifice of God's only Son that the basis for Romans 8.28 can be written and even hard and tragic events can turn out for our good. Some of you right now are going through something you're saying, Pastor, I haven't experienced that yet. Pastor, I'm hurting. Pastor, I'm lost. I need a word of hope, Pastor. Just hang in there. God's word is true. God's word never returns void. And you can trust him, church. You can trust him, wounded soul. Had Jesus never been born, just think of what life would have been like. Really, this entire topic that we're, that we're on right now really points to the providence of God. It talks about the providence of God. What exactly is the providence of God? We'll hit that in a second, but the providence of God. For the believer, Jesus' death on Calvary allows the providence of God to make all things turn out for the good. Someone once said that providence is the hidden hand of God. The hidden hand of God. It's God's invisible hand behind the curtains of life, changing and aligning circumstances. Listen, God is working on your behalf, even as I'm preaching right now at 11.32, 11.33. The providence of God is working even now. You have to believe that. Easy to preach it, easy to say it. Yes, it sounds good in a sermon, but folks, that's the truth. God is working right now. He's behind the curtains of life, changing and aligning the circumstances of your life. 
bringing victory from the jaws of defeat and turning tables on the devil's schemes and ensuring that all things are able to be worked out for the good. Amen, Amen, Steph. That's right. Hmm. Reuben, I remember the day you came down here and you didn't think you were going to make it through that day. You literally thought that you were done. You, he, he looked at me, I think that was right around Easter time. He looked at me, he said, Pastor, I don't think I'm going to make it through this day. And by looking at him and talking to him, yeah, he could have been right. But look where you are today, Reuben. One thing that I know about you, you're still in that chair, but your testimony is strong. You're closer to Jesus Christ than I think you've ever been, Reuben. Sometimes God has us go through things because it will make our faith stronger. I'm life. I'm not living for this world. I'm living for that world. Everything that I'm going through here today and tomorrow is to prepare me for what I have yet awaited me. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. I've got a plan for you. Don't fight against God. Allow the providence of God time to work in your life. The providence of God. There's, there's two different kinds of providences of God. The one is the historical providence. What do I mean by that? Historical providence are events that have occurred on the national and international scenes of life. The story like Esther. When you read the book of Esther, you will, did you know that you will not find the name of God anywhere in the book of Esther? There is no reference to God. Isn't that interesting that it's in our canonical book, the book in canon. However, God's fingerprints are all over the place. It's a story about how God's people were about to be wiped off the face of the planet. But at just the right time, God placed people like Esther and her cousin Mordecai on the scene to be major players in saving the Jewish people. A wonderful example of the providential, unseen hand of God working all things for the good. All throughout history, whenever mankind turns their hearts to God, and that's the key, what I just said, all throughout history, whenever mankind turns their hearts toward God, turns their hearts toward the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God just has a way of showing up in an unmistakable way. From the inspiration of a Catholic priest named Martin Luther, who turned the world upside down when he nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church and began the Protestant Reformation. To the believers who on July 4th, 1776 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, asked Almighty God to help them in their quest to conquer Great Britain and the mighty Church of England. To the days of World War II when both Presidents Franklin Delano Roosevelt 
And England's Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, called for national days of prayer at various times throughout the war. And praise the Lord, even recently when our president asked for a national day of prayer to help us in our time of hurricane relief. On times like this, the providential, unseen hand of God has always helped to strengthen and deliver those desperate enough those humble enough to call upon the name of God. And in the process, the name of Jesus is glorified. Praise God. There is the providential, the historical providential hand of God. Let's go conquer something right now, right? Are you excited? Let's go. I don't care about a football game. Let's go do something for God. And lastly, there is the personal providence of God. Praise the Lord, the God who shows up on a global scene of world history is the same God who will show up on your front doorstep. He will show up when you need Him the most. Evangelist Vance Havner, some of you may have heard of him, he once said this, quote, I thank God for the unseen hand, sometimes urging me onward, sometimes holding me back, sometimes with a caress of approval, sometimes with a stroke of reproof, sometimes correcting and sometimes comforting. My times are in his hand. The unseen hand may be obscured at times by the fogs of circumstance, but just because we can't see the sun on a cloudy day doesn't mean that it's not there. I at times mention this, and I don't mean to put anybody on the spot, but because it's personal. Um, there are times when my father-in-law, who's with us, is still in the fog. Know what I mean? How many of you know what it's like to be in the fog of life? There's a lot more hands up than that. But one thing that I appreciated about my father-in-law, he still praises the Lord. He is still in the house of God. You know what? Anytime the church doors are open, he wants to be there because I believe he feels close to God in places like this. I believe he feels the hand of God at times and at times when it's still hard. The unseen hand of God is lifting us up and it's lifting you up. Lifting us up. And church... The providential hand of God is the reason that we say we know, we know, we know, we know that all things work together for good. So if you're discouraged, I urge you, I plead with you. What do I do, you say? Keep keeping on for Jesus. Just keep keeping on for Jesus. Keep doing what you know you need to do and He will not fail you. He will not let you down. 
Keep keeping on for the Lord, living daily as you know you should, and in time you'll see that God can work and will work all things for your good. I end with this story. I've talked about this, this man before, but many of you know him. That is Pastor Jim Simbola of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York City. And I want to read a story that, that he told in closing. Mandy, come on up. I don't know what you have picked. He tells a story about the first financial obstacle he faced upon coming to the tiny church of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. These are his words. When the first mortgage payment rolled around at the end of the month, the checking account showed something like $160 in hand. We were going to defraud right off the bat, he said. How soon would it take to lose the building and be tossed out into the street? That Monday, my day off, I remember praying, Lord, you have to help me. I don't know much, but I do know that we have to pay this mortgage. I went to the church on Tuesday. Well, maybe someone will send some money out of the blue, I told myself, like what happened so often with George Mueller and his orphanage back in England. He just prayed, and a letter or a visitor would arrive to meet his need. The mail came that day, and there was nothing but bills and flyers. Now I was trapped. I went upstairs, sat at my little desk, put my head down, and began to cry. God, I sobbed. What can I do? We can't even pay the mortgage. That night was the midweek service, and I knew there wouldn't be more than three or four people attending. The offering would probably be less than $10. How was I going to get through this? I called out to the Lord for a full hour or so. Eventually, I dried my tears, and a new thought came. Wait a minute. Besides the mail slot in the front door, the church also has a post office box. I'll go across the street and see what's there. Surely God has answered my prayer. With renewed confidence, I walked across the street, crossed the post office lobby, and twirled the knob in the little box, and I peered inside. Nothing. As I stepped back into the sunshine, Trucks roared down Atlantic Avenue. If one had flattened me just then, I would not have felt any lower. Was God abandoning us? Was I doing something that displeased him? I trudged wearily back across the street to the little building. As I unlocked the door, I was met with another surprise. There on the foyer floor was something that had not been there just three minutes earlier. A simple white envelope. No address, no stamp, nothing, just a white envelope. With trembling hands, I opened it to find two $50 bills. 
And I began shouting all by myself in the empty church. God, you came through. You came through. We had $160 in the bank, and with this $100, we were able to make our mortgage payment. My soul let out a deep hallelujah. What a lesson for a disheartened young pastor. To this day, I don't know where that money came from. I can only know that it was a sign to me that God was near and faithful. You know what, Mandy? I don't know what you just had, what you had picked out, but I'm going to change it on you. Joyce, come on up. Let's, I don't know what page it is, but let's end with greatest I faithfulness. The providence of God is what allows a song like that to be written. I don't know what you're going through today. I'm not trying to wow you and impress you with wonderful stories, but these are true life stories, and I pray that they're giving you hope. I pray that you realize that he really is able. You can know that he's able to work it all out for the good. Whatever it is. believe psalmist said psalm 37 i've been young and now i've been old and i have never seen god's people begging for bread he is faithful church he is faithful what page is that you 121 121 would you stand with me we're going to end with this song If God is speaking to someone this morning, it's starting to be a tradition here over here. If you want someone to pray with you, you can come to this side of the altars, your right side, my right side. If you want to pray all by yourself, come over here and no one will come to you. No one will bother you. It's just between you and God. Father, Thank you for your providential hand. God, we don't always feel it, but we know it. I thank you that you can be trusted. As has been said, when we can't feel your hand, we can trust your heart. We thank you for that. Lord, if there's someone that's weary here today, I pray that this message would encourage them. Um, If there's someone here that is hurting today, I pray that this time would encourage them and give them a a pep in their step to know that they just need to keep keeping on for you. That as Lisa said in her prayer earlier, that you have a plan. You have plans for us, God. Thank you that our plans don't crumble whenever difficulty comes, but you have plans for hope and a future, even after times of hardship. And we thank you for your faithfulness today, this morning, God. God, if no one comes, we just sing this song as a word of testimony and praise to who you are in our life. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.